Good morning. Welcome to Stony Creek United Methodist Church. I am Pastor Michael. I'm very happy to see you all here on this crisp autumn, almost winterish day, um, wherever it falls. And I don't remember when winter officially starts. Um, it's never soon enough for me. Um, we have a couple things to tell you about, a couple announcements. Um, uh, first, I would just like to thank everyone for their prayers and support. Um, I did have my interviews for ordination on Tuesday, and I successfully completed and passed those. So at annual conference in June, I will be voted on and ordained. <laughs> Assuming they vote for me, but usually that doesn't happen, or usually that's not an issue. Um, so thank you all for all of that. Um, I probably have something else, but come on up because I'm blanking. <clears throat> okay, this proves that God has a sense of humor. <coughs> Don't know what happened, but here it is. Uh, we're going to be getting together at 11 o'clock on Wednesday to put the food baskets together that we're going to be taking over to Bishop. So if you have any time available, swing by and we'll be down in what we affectionately call I think the pie room anyway the room down there where all the food and toys are and uh, we'll put those together so we can take them over on Friday <clears throat> the potluck is next Sunday uh, one o'clock it looks like it's going to be so much fun uh, we're going to be decorating for Advent after the service at 10 o'clock and um, We'll have partake of fellowship, fun, and some food at 1 o'clock um, next Sunday. Yes, Teresa. And also, to give your voice five seconds to breathe, um, something that we are planning but haven't talked about as much, in order for us to decorate on Sunday after church, the tree has to go up. Oops. The tree has to go up. So our plan is, and you are invited some of you special folks may receive a phone call. We're going to put the tree up on Saturday morning. So this coming Saturday morning, starting at 930, you're welcome to join us to fluff branches as we put our lovely artificial tree up. That way the tree will be up and children and others can put ornaments on following church then on Sunday. So you may get a call or an email. Saturday morning, tree goes up. Sunday after church, we finish decorating for Advent before the potluck that is at 1. Doesn't that sound like fun? And I want to, I know Fonda and I join Will and Bill. They're such fun. They helped us on Thursday with the distribution of the food gatherers, fresh produce boxes. And we needed those muscles. Those boxes were heavy. So... And then next month, we're looking at doing, uh, for the kids' day, uh, popcorn and a movie. So that should be fun. And Mr. Hall has an announcement. I'm still open for December for Usher. We got January covered. We got this month, but we don't have any place for de December yet. So. Thank you very much, Belinda. <clears throat> I know what I was going to tell you. Also, Wednesday is our board meeting, so if you are on the board, please uh, be there. We are meeting at 6.30, and if you are not on the board but would like to know more, uh, please let me know, and I will tell you more. 
Um, anybody got anything else? Oh, yes. Don't forget to please uh, sign in um, in one of the pads in the pews. Uh, if you're a member with us, it helps us check in with you. And if you're a guest, uh, it gives us the opportunity to thank you for joining us in worship. Um, if you'll share some contact information, we probably promise we won't bombard you with stuff. Anything else? Going once, twice, sold. Awesome. Well, I'm going to turn things over to our praise band, um, which we have a, a, a couple. We have a couple extra musicians, yes. and I'll just continue on. You may not be able to see, but we have a couple extra musicians today. So um, guitar solos will be offered by Nick Fournier and also by Jerry Heiss. So if you can't see them, come say hello thereafter. But we've got a Raise the Praise song that hopefully will raise the roof, and in that uh, frame of mind. The title is Rise Up and Praise Him. So turn in your red folder to number 64, Rise Up and Praise Him. And if you wish, you can sing. Otherwise, you could just clap along. Rise up and or praise dance. him. Oh, and dance. There was dancing earlier. Dancing. Yeah.
prepare for worship. We fall down. prayer. God, who labored creation into being, we give thanks for this day and the privilege to work in your world. We pray this day for those for whom this Lord's Day is not a day of rest but of toil. We pray this day for those who cannot afford to take Sabbath and for those who believe they cannot afford to take Sabbath. Grant us the strength to labor for what is right, just, and fair. Grant us the wisdom to speak out for those who are enslaved, oppressed, and exploited. Grant us the ability to break the chains of injustice 
and hear the voices of people long silenced. We pray this day for the privilege to work in your world. May we make it better. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In a world filled with blessings, we celebrate our privilege and our responsibility to share those blessings. Let us celebrate the God of overwhelming blessings by continuing our worship through the offering of our tithes, our time, and our gifts and talents. And may we always be thankful and joyful givers in whichever ways we are able to give back to God. If you would rise as you are able and join us in singing our doxology, which is on page 95 in the red hymnals in the pews. God of the wolf and the lamb, the lion and the ox, we give thanks for these gifts and pray they might be agents of your peace. May they serve your creation as we seek your new heaven and new earth. Help us take these gifts out into a world filled with distress and calm it. Help us take these gifts out into a world filled with pain and heal it. Help us take these gifts out into a world filled with silence and speak up. In Jesus' name, amen. 
It is now a time for all of God's children. I'd like to invite all of God's children who would like to come up and hang out with me. And remember, you're all God's children, so everybody is technically invited. I see some more of God's children. No, not wait. Get away from the suckers. No. All right. So, do you guys know what your new word is? What is it? Uh, it's, I forgot it, it is voice. voice. To speak up about what you believe. Okay. So, when you guys hear the word voice, you might think of talking or shouting or speaking, right? Right. We can use our voice to speak up for others and share the love of God, though, too, right? And you have a microphone, so you have to give more voice. Yes, microphone helps me have more voice. Are there ways you can share the love of God? Like what? Okay, we'll use some thing time. What do the rest of you guys think? Are there ways we can share the love of God with people? Okay, that sounds good. What do you think? Okay, that's all right. I want to read you a story called Elijah and the Ravens. Elijah is a very popular name. All right, so there's Elijah right here. And there's some ravens. A raven is a type of bird. They're usually black, and they're pretty decent-sized. Um, ravens, it depends if they feel threatened. All right, so... Elijah and the ravens. A new person became king after Solomon. You guys remember King Solomon? We talked about him, I think, last week. This new king's name was Ahab, and he was not a good king. God sent a prophet named Elijah to talk to King Ahab. A prophet speaks up when things are unfair and helps people know what God wants them to do. Elijah warned King Ahab there would be no water or food for a long time. But King Ahab wouldn't listen to Elijah, and Elijah had to hide from him. Soon, it stopped raining, and the creeks dried up. There was no water to drink, and there was no food to eat. God helped Elijah find water, and every day, God sent ravens to bring Elijah food. So I wonder, what's your favorite part of the story? What's your favorite part? 
That God helped Elijah, yeah. The ravens. The ravens. What was your favorite part? Birdies. The birdies, yeah. Yeah, I like birdies too. All right. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a repeat after me prayer. You guys ready? Dear God, thank you for giving me a voice to speak up for others and for you. Amen. Awesome. We got one more thing to do. That's right, the Lord's Prayer. You guys ready? All right. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. All right, you guys each get one sucker, and then you get to go to Sunday school and learn stuff. Is there any blue res- Okay, no, I know there's not blue raspberry, but I'm going to try the blue carnation. Okay. Because I've tried carnation before. Is it okay if she has one? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Which one do you want? There's tons of flavors and tons of mystery. Grape. Grape. And guys, there's okay. also mystery that can also Okay, and remember, for Sunday school, when we go there, we got to use walking feet, okay? Eleanor's going her own way. <laughs> All right, if you would rise as you are able and join me in hymn number 580, Lead On, O King Eternal.
Now is the time that we lift before God and God's people the things that are weighing upon our hearts and our minds as well as those things that give us cause for celebration. Do we have any joys or concerns we'd like to share this morning? Just wanted to let you know that my sister-in-law, Cynthia, who fell last Wednesday and broke her hip, uh, she did have hip replacement on Thursday afternoon. She was out walking Thursday night with a walker down the aisle, and now she's over in Reddy's uh, for rehab, so she's doing fairly well. I haven't seen her yet, but I'm going this afternoon. Thank you for all your prayers. That is very good news. There are two joys today. One is our granddaughter is here in the nursery, and I don't hear her, so that's a good sign. <laughs> um, the other joy is that tomorrow, Tammy and I will be wedded 35 years. Which anniversary is that? We're past paper and those things. Say chocolate's always a safe bet, right? Toilet paper. <laughs> yeah, might have to adjust those. Anybody got anything else? All right, if you would please join me in an attitude of prayer. God of new beginnings, you have promised us a season in which weeping will no longer be heard, nor cries of distress. Yet we live in a season filled with weeping and distress. This day we come before you offering prayers for those who weep with grief, those who mourn the death of loved ones, the loss of employment, the loss of relationships, the pain of transition. This day we come before you offering prayers for those who cry out in distress, for the rumblings of hungry bellies, the lament of the attic, pleas of the homeless. This day we come before you offering prayers for those who labor in vain, for those enslaved in fields, factories, and mines for those whose work cripples their bodies and their spirits, for those who toil without recognition, wage, or honor, for those whose childhoods are taken from them as they are forced to work in just unrealistic conditions. You have promised us a season of blessing. And so this day we come before you offering prayers for those who celebrate, for those who celebrate birthdays and anniversaries, for those who have received healing and comfort, for those who have been able to spend time with their loved ones. Loving God, you have promised us a season of peace and we look around the world seeing far too many places in need of your peace. 
We pray for the coming of that holy time throughout your beloved creation. For the sake of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And I apologize, I totally forgot the intro to prayer. Can we end with it instead? If you go into your hymnals on 328, what was supposed to be our call to prayer we'll use as our response to prayer. Please join me aloud in our prayer for illumination. God of the earthquake and the silence, quiet in us any voice but your own, that by the power of the Holy Spirit we might hear, and in hearing we might believe, and in believing we might act, making way for your new creation. Amen. Our scripture reading, number one, today is from Psalm 98. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, if you'll turn in your hymnal to number 369, we'll join together in blessed assurance. Would you like them to stand? Please stand.
You may be seated. Our second reading for this morning can be found beginning on page 743 in the Bibles in the pews. We are in the 65th chapter of Isaiah, verses 17 through 25. This section of passages will often carry the header or title, New Heavens and a New Earth. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them, or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, and dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. If you would please join me once again in an attitude of prayer. Creating and creative God, your power and artistic wonder are beyond even humanity's greatest imaginations. You are always making things new, always working within us through the Holy Spirit to help us become the people, your children, that you made us to be. Help us to hear this as the good news that it truly is, even through the growing pains and the moments of uncertainty that may invade our hearts and minds. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts together in this place be pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, good morning once again to everyone, and may God bless you and hold you close, especially in the hardest moments that you may face in this life. Although for college football fans, nobody should be complaining because I believe both teams won. Okay. U of M really won if I saw the score right. So this morning we're going to still be using some of the selected scripture passages for today from the Revised Common Lectionary. However, today we're going to venture back into the Old Testament and focus on the words from the prophet Isaiah, as opposed to staying in the New Testament with Luke, where we were last week. Not that there's anything wrong with Luke's gospel, not at all. 
But the prophet Isaiah has some of the most powerful passages in all of Scripture as it reflects part of the exile of the Israelite people from their homeland by the Babylonians. The book of Isaiah is the first of the latter prophets or the major prophets, followed by the 12 minor prophets uh, in the Hebrew Bible. And it is the first of the major prophets or grouping of the books that are traditionally regarded as authored by a prophet in the Christian Old Testament. Now, scholars will often argue that this book is actually composed of three parts and that the whole book is not actually written by Isaiah given the timeline that it covers historically. Chapters 1 through 39, or what is referred to sometimes as proto-Isaiah, those are believed to contain the words of the true prophet Isaiah during the 8th century BCE. Chapters 40 through 55, or Deutero-Isaiah, are believed to be the work of an anonymous 6th century BCE author who would have been writing during the exile itself. And then finally, chapters 56 through 66, or the Trito Isaiah, that was composed during or after the return from the Babylonian exile. It's often noted that the, chap, uh, the words of chapters 1 through 33, they promise uh, judgment and restoration for Judah and Jerusalem and the nations. The words in chapters 34 through 66 seem to presume that judgment has been pronounced and restoration uh, soon will follow. Now this book can be read as an extended meditation on the destiny of Jerusalem into and after the exile. Now the second section of the book, the Deutero-Isaiah part, it describes how God will make Jerusalem the center of his worldwide rule through a royal savior or messiah, who will destroy the oppressor, or in this case, Babylon. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, hey, that must be Jesus he's talking about, right? Eh, maybe, maybe not. You see, in a lot of scholars' opinions, and when we look at the context, the Messiah that's being referred to here by Isaiah, or by the person who authored this section, is really referring to the Persian king Cyrus the Great. Cyrus essentially is the agent who brings about Yahweh's kingship. Isaiah also spends a bit of time speaking out against corrupt leaders and in defense of all the disadvantaged, all who, um, while rooting righteousness in God's holiness rather than in Israel's covenant. So this is putting things more to God than to the people. And Cyrus, being the king of Persia, Persia is who rescued the Israelites from the Babylonians and set them free. So since our reading for this morning is from the second to last chapter in Isaiah, that would put us in the Trito Isaiah part of the book. So what do we find in this collection of oracles by unknown prophets in the years immediately after the Babylonian return? Well, let's find out. One of the important things to be aware of is that after the Persians ended the Jewish exile, 
at least some of the people returned to Jerusalem and rebuilt the temple. Not everyone did return, but a fair number did. And unfortunately, not all was well. The people who were returning, they found themselves in conflict with the people who had not been taken in the exile and had remained in the country. Those who had now taken ownership of the land. There was no one else there. It belonged to their people. So during the exile, it became their land. And when people came back, there came an issue of whose land is whose. And further conflict ensued over what form of government they should set up. Sounds like fun times, doesn't it? Our reading begins with the author sharing this vision of, of new heavens and a new earth, giving us a, a picture, kind of like a work of art, of the prophet's conception of newness born of the author's own creative imagination. And the result that we get is, is quite vivid and concrete representation of a transformed environment. Peoples, habitations, and nature all woven into a complex relationship of wholeness. This indeed is a new creation where the heavens and the earth are no longer alienated from one another. But what moves the prophet this way? Where does the visionary get their picture from? Now the obvious and straightforward answer most of us would jump to is from the word of God. Verse 17 is Yahweh, the great I am, saying, for I am about to create new heavens and a new earth. When this happens, the past will be the past. Actually, it could be argued that there may not even really be a past, since the passage continues sharing with the readers, the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. So this is a, a total envisioning of new things. It's also important for us to recognize that the prophet's vision comes within a given context. This is a context of a people who have for the most part at least, turned their backs on God. They have followed their own way according to their own devices. This makes the prophet's vision difficult for many of them to embrace. Many felt that God had abandoned them in exile, and they were hurting from their experience. This version, uh, vision is further challenging because if these people start anew, well, that means then the present things have to end. As a new reality breaks in, it's going to turn the world and all of its known dynamics upside down. Now, who else do we know that likes to turn things all upside down and counter to societal and cultural norms? I wonder. Now for us readers in today's world, this passage is speaking about hope 
through the prophecy that God will create new heavens and a new earth. And at a quick glance, we might be tempted to see this passage as laying out a utopia of sorts that can never be achieved. However, I would argue that the vision of new heavens and a new earth does not imply utter and absolute destruction of the present world and creation of a whole new one. Myself, along with many biblical scholars, argue that it's about building upon the original creation that the divine called good. It's about transforming that creation into something new. So we can see this as a prophecy of transformation to something new instead of destruction and then building something new. One of the things I remember being told many, many, many times not to do while I was in seminary was called proof texting. Proof texting is a method by which a person appeals to a biblical text to prove or justify a theological position without regard for the context of the passage they are citing. This is also what I have probably, you've heard me say when people cherry pick things out of scripture to justify something they're trying to convince you of. Some of the gospel writers and other authors in the New Testament can probably be found guilty of doing some proof texting at times, especially when they use parts of Isaiah to assume that the author was talking about Jesus. Now, Jesus does himself quote Isaiah at least at one point and claims that those specific words he reads on the scroll in the temple are in fact referring to him. But it happens other places where it's not Jesus who's saying it or doing it. And I bring this up because there are instances where we may set this aside, especially when it is Jesus himself speaking about himself. In that frame of thinking, to help us understand this vision of a transformed world, it might be helpful for us and other Christians to look at it through the lens of the incarnation of God. When we, when we look at it, the totality of Jesus' life provides a whole new framework for understanding Isaiah's prophecy. It's Jesus' radical inclusivity, his model of claiming power through nonviolent action, and his ministry of presence that reveals an unexpected model of messianic attributes. Everything changes when we introduce Jesus into it, including ourselves. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection provide for us a new set of lenses for the world to engage in the new creation. But not as a goal to be looked for off somewhere in the distance. No, it is one to be realized in the here and now. And it's important that we recognize that we seek to participate in God's creation not 
as a, a means of earning it in some way. Not at all. We seek to participate as a way of responding to God's grace that is extended to us. It is through our restored relationship with God and our relationship with all of God's creation that we are given new lenses of hope by which we can experience a foretaste of the new creation that Isaiah prophesies about. When taken collectively with, with those of other believers, the single acts of serving God and neighbor illustrate God's kingdom breaking into the world today. Being created by God, we are given gifts and abilities, and we are invited to participate in the ongoing formation of the new Jerusalem for all of the children of God, and whereby we can work to diminish suffering. This passage also offers us good news about our God and God's capacity to create. Isaiah reminds us that God creates on an unimaginable scale new heavens and a new earth. Or in other words, there is, there is nothing in all of creation or in all that we imagine beyond creation for that matter that is beyond the capacity of God to change. This is good news. This is good news for people who are mired in regret or loss or sin because our God can change things. This is good news for people who are ground down by oppression and the pain of living in bondage because our God can change things. This is good news. Nothing, absolutely nothing, is final. Everything is up for grabs in the mystery of the creative capacity of God. Or at least until God declares and makes it final. At the heart, the very heart of the Judeo-Christian faith is this creator who emerges even in the bleakest hour of human history to create anew. So then it's really no wonder then that, that these words of Isaiah are, are remembered and beloved by both individuals and communities of faith in all seasons of the human journey. Yes, individuals can certainly find personal solace and hope in the power of this passage. But also, as in so many of Isaiah's words, the focus is on communal salvation and new life. Because Isaiah isn't talking about good fortune coming to a person here or a family there. No matter what the circumstances that, 
might be around us, we might be going through, we must always remember and hold on to the truth that God has the capacity to create new heavens and a new earth. God has the capacity to create beyond anything we could even hope to understand in this life. Beauty and wonder beyond our greatest imaginations. God's joy is in creating the new and beautiful city. And this holy joy, this holy joy will be reflected in the lives of all people. When we love God, when we love neighbor, when we do those acts, as simple as they may be at times, we begin to see glimpses of the new heavens and the new earth. We begin to see the world transformed. And there is so much more yet to come. We just got to be a part of it. Amen. If you would rise as you are able for our closing hymn number 246, Joy to the World, it fits with our theme and it's a reminder that Advent is coming.
Beloved siblings in Christ Jesus, go out into the world in peace. Live fully. Build homes. Plant vineyards. Give thanks. Work for what is right. And now may the God of our salvation, our strength, and our comfort guard your hearts and minds this day and evermore. May you always feel the presence of the Lord God and recognize the blessings that God continues to bestow upon us, even in our most difficult challenges. Go in peace and serve the Lord. Amen. Thank you.